0: Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with cultural historian, leadership imagineer, and inspirational edu trainer Rick Cromie. He helps people interpret history, navigate culture, and explore faith so that they can create transformative change in their homes, at school, and at work. Ultimately, he's interested in people and how humans are motivated. We get into our modern world, role models, and so much more. Enjoy this interview. Rick, thanks for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you interpret history. There's a lot of things that you do. You navigate culture. But I want to know, before we get to your your work and your job and what you do, how did you survive COVID, which is one of the biggest cultural shakeups we've had in probably the last century? How did you survive and how did it change you? Well, first of all, I got I to
1: tell you, it, it, I really entered it with a no fear attitude. Uh, I'm a, as someone who studies and research and follows science very closely, you know, what I discovered first of all was you could support, you know, there was like two varying almost opposite ends of the way to approach the COVID situation and, and how you responded and you saw it played out politically. I think it I think that was the sad part about it was how it became such a political volleyball. Um, depending on your politics, is how you you approach your response to it. But you know, I live in a a very red state, so we didn't have the shutdowns, we didn't have the uh, the closures. You know, we just everybody acted fairly responsible. Uh, you know, if you had it, you were you stayed home and and uh, you know. But as one who followed the research and science on it, I kept looking for. Uh, you know, I, I follow the death rate more than anything, and you know, I I understand immunology and epidemics and those type of things a little bit. And one of the things we find about contagions is you may have variants that are more contagious, but they the lethality of it continues to decline, which is what COVID did over the course of its its uh, its lifespan, and it's it's going to be around possibly for another forty years. I mean, the Spanish flu was around for 40 years, and and we handled that even much more differently than we did COVID, uh, much less aggressively. I mean, Spanish flu was, was was bad, but it was mostly a local aggressiveness that it was done at all. As far as you know, you know, keeping people uh, away, socially distance, if you want to use that word. But so for me, it was kind of approach was I want to be responsible. Uh, I also always, always, always felt like if you, if the person I was talking with or connected with or dealing with in any way was fearful and had um, a very, you know, strict where for them it was all about masks, I would totally, like, wear a mask. You know, I did that for the deference of the people that I worked with, even though I didn't believe I needed to wear a mask. You know, I would socially distance, even though I didn't think I needed to socially distance, Um, you know, because in the end it's about respect for other human beings. And so that's what I did. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I wore a mask uh, when when it was necessary and when appropriate and when desired. But uh, other than that, uh, I really approached it with no fear. And I did catch it. I caught I caught the omicron back in January, and it was um, it was it was a couple hard days. But for the most part, that uh, you know, and I was vaccinated. I did get vaccinated, but uh, did not get boosted. I see no reason at this point to get boosted.
0: So I'm curious with what you do with your life. You know, I see on paper it's very clear, but let's boil this down to maybe simplify it a little bit. You're at, I'm going to transport you now to a career day at a grade school, and you're in front of fourth graders, and a kid looks up and says, what do you do for a living, and how are you qualified to do it? How do you answer that, kid? Well, first of all, I—you know, my basic uh,
1: Uh, mission is I interpret history, navigate culture, and explore faith. So uh, that speaks to my three primary areas of of expertise and background. I started out life as a pastor. I was a youth pastor and uh, taught youth ministry at the university level for many years. And that's what got me into generational analysis. Uh, I started looking at, uh, uh, back in the 80s and 90s in particular, there was a lot of interest just in how these new generations were emerging and really understanding older generations. Back then, we called them builders or, you know, the GI generation or the silent generation, some of those older generations. It was just interesting. That that fascinated me, too. And, you know, I all the way through, I've always maintained that every five years, you've got to reinvent your life in some way. You've got to find a way to to make it different, to change it, not just for your own sanity and your own growth, but uh, really to, to help m- move your own career forward. And, you know, and that's really what happened in 2020 for me. You know, I, I took a, because all my speaking engagements got canceled, you know, I started researching American history a lot more. But as far as what I do, if I was in that grade school class, I would say that, you know, I'm a, I'm a historian. Uh, I've always been a historian. Uh, I don't I don't have an actual degree in history, but I've had enough history courses to have a degree in history uh, in, in my in my lifetime. I have a doctorate in leadership in the emerging culture, so I get tagged a lot as a culturalist, uh, cultural historian, a futurist. I help people, organizations, businesses, schools, churches understand the future where it's headed. Uh, Technology has been a big part of that. My doctoral dissertation was in online learning and, in particular, uh, technological um, um, shifts and, and such. And, of course, my latest book was on technology and generation. So all those things together, and underneath all of that is, again, the exploration of faith because uh, I do come out of a pastoral background.
0: So, you know, obviously, because of COVID, we've gone through quite a cultural shift. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. as you look into kind of a quasi- you know crystal ball of the future do you see what we've gone through there's been so many things that have gone into it from battling the disease the political divisiveness the the, the class war you know figuring out things with racism changing the redskins name all of these things as we kind of progress and have progressed over these last couple of years do you see this shift being positive or negative and why uh yeah and, and again i think it depends on your perspective
1: uh obviously there might be a, a obviously. There's a side that would say yes. We, as you just mentioned, progressed uh, through this through this period. There would be others that would say we might have devolved. You know, are uh, things better today than they were 20 years ago? You know, I I I I, I kind of see both sides. I, you know, I I'm one of these guys that tends to be firmly in the middle on some of these things, and this is one where I'm I'm definitely in the middle. You know, I, there are there are different things. For example, in the area of race, that we needed to progress on we need it to change we need to work on and, and deal with but at the same time we've become we, we've almost gone too far in what that looks like you know you mentioned the the r word uh i grew up in montana um you know the fact that we had a nation's capital with the name of the r word was was outrageous to me because i lived among the indians i i understood their culture and uh, for them, that was a derogatory term. But as you just heard, I use the word Indian, and I have no problem with that. In fact, my Indian friends have no problem with that. I live out here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm on cruise ships all the time with with Native Americans, and uh, they they prefer that we call them Indians. They have no, there's no dog in that hunt. There's just an element of the Indian culture that has an issue with it and they tend to blow it up but that's the way it is with any of the racial things right now it seems to me there's an element that wants to blow it up a bit and uh you know i i'll be i'll be very candid uh, i've been called uh all sorts of names for even suggesting this idea but i have no i i come back to a very simple it's a theological concept for me it's how i view life but i believe all lives matter until all lives matter No lives matter in particular. And I understand black lives matter. I understand uh, the Hispanic lives matter. I understand all of that. But at the bottom of it has to be that we have to have respect for all life and all ethnicities. And so, yeah, the COVID moment really blew that whole thing up in that particular uh, arena. And it's something that we've had to to address. And I think there's been some good work on it. You know, what I enjoy is podcasts like this where maybe I can explain you know, I'm am an old white guy. I've kind of seen a lot of this stuff, and and yet, um, you know, at, at the same time, it's um, it's 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 good. I need to, I need to have my own
0: uh, biases
1: and prejudice checked too. You know, I,
0: I it's interesting you say that because I've always thought when I see the term Black Lives Matter, do we really have to spell this out? We've we gotten so dense and devolved as a culture that we have to get to this point where we have to tell people, why don't you be respectful to a certain subsect of people? I mean, why can't everybody? Yeah. And I know that white, white dudes, especially like us too, we tend to be on a more, we don't feel all of these daily dings that other groups do. But at the end of the day, wh- how hard is it for us to ask humanity to say, you know what, why don't we care about everybody equally? And then that will, completely put into perspective the the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, the Native Americans, too. I mean, what was done to them when this country was seized was unreal. Like, everybody, all of the minority groups in this country have been kicked around in a way that guys like us may not realize or feel because we just haven't been in that group. But I think sometimes even about, like, I remember one time my wife was really into the show, um... Uh, Naked and Afraid, and there was a black woman that won it, and it was a big deal. And it's like, that's the person that I would figure would have been the first winner of the show. You talk about someone that's been kicked around and maligned for their whole lives, that's someone that has a strength that none of us are going to be able to put our fingers on so again in a roundabout way i 100 percent agree and understand with what you're saying i think it's implicit that we have we, we need to take humanity and boil it down to its part and say we have to have empathy for every single person that's on this planet and i think that's going to be it that, that should be the starting point for us to yeah. see each other yeah, yeah. and i, I think part,
1: again the shift here that's happened that i have analyzed and um, really observed is that we've moved from equality. I mean, this was the founding father idea of America. It was justice for all, equality for all. We are all born equal, you know, and at that point in time, we had slavery as a part of our culture. And I don't, we, we don't understand this today. I mean, I, I'm actually convinced that even most black people do not understand slavery and slavery customs and traditions and stuff. Because for us, it's such an abhorrent idea that, that we, we simply don't even want to think about it. But yet at the same time, you know, uh, it was such a cultural norm in our founding father's history. And yet they had the audacity to put right in the very beginning, of the Declaration of Independence, is that we are all created equal. And what happened in COVID that I saw very interesting was there was a shift in terminology. We went from talking about equality to talking about equity, which is about being fair. And equity is all about the finish line. Equality is all about the starting line. You know, we start all equal. You know, that's where we should start is that we start equal, but not all of us are going to finish with a fairness. I mean, I'm, I'm five foot four. I thought about maybe putting a lawsuit against the National Basketball Association for short white guys. I mean, I, I, I they're not being fair. They let tall black guys play. That's not fair. Where, where's my cut? You know, uh, I've been I've been prejudiced against and biased against all my life. I tell people, you know, what? If you focus on discrimination, you're going to find discrimination all around you. I've been, like I said, I'm a short guy. I, I've got uh, I'm a little plump, you know. So I suppose I've had some. Uh, some some fat type of uh, uh, discrimination over the years. But, you know, if I focus on the things that make me different, I'm always going to find something to be a victim about. Yeah, okay? But if I focus on what, hey, listen, I have an equal opportunity. What we want is equal opportunity. And if you can bring the best game, then by golly, everybody, you know, in the NBA, I got to tell you, most of the best players happen to be black and tall. Go figure. It's a game for tall guys. You know, it's not a game for short guys, although there's been a few that have excelled in it. It's not been my game. And that's what I try to point out is that we have to navigate culture much more uh, respectfully, uh, even humbly. I mean, those are the two parts that I, I've really played. I'm going to respect you, and I'm going to be humble. I don't know everything about everything, and, and I want to listen to your story. And if your story is is – is is a good one and if if it's something if there's an injustice there then by all means let's fix that injustice but um a lot of us don't know our history today you know and that's the problem with america we have we have these you know we're talking about fake news well there's fake history out there all the time and it's it's becoming a major narrative in some circles about certain things where we have fake history and that concerns me more than anything because you know i i study this stuff pretty heavily and and in the academic world, it's it's amazing what passes for history today.
0: So, talk to me a little bit about you know your childhood and where you were born and raised, and kind of how you got this motivation to this, to get so interested in culture and history. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm a native Montanan,
1: so as I as I mentioned, I grew up in cowboy and Indian country, and uh, you know I I don't know where I got this interest. I've always been a curious guy, and I've always been a writer. I. I some of my earliest recollections was, you know, I, I wrote little books. I used to write nature books and then I'd sell them for like 10 cents to the neighborhood. And uh, that was my first published work. I would literally write them out. I'd get these wildlife stamps and then I'd research about the wildlife stamp and I'd write this whole book about this wildlife stamp and sell them for 10 cents. People actually bought it. And that's when I realized, well, hey, listen, maybe there's something here. If I my writing teachers my communication teachers my speech teachers my drama teachers uh, my journalism teachers they all said you need to write and you need to speak and that's pretty much uh, been my you know my go to my those are my basic gifts that that I bring to the table is communication and and then my pastoral background you know I was raised in the church and You know, unlike a lot of people today, my my early church experience was very positive. Uh, I went through uh, some abandonment. My mom, my mother uh, left the family, and my father, we had a real disconnect with my dad for many, many years. And I I spent a lot of my life just really struggling with abandonment issues related to to that. But uh, in the end, um, you know, it was through my faith that I found reconciliation and and found restoration and, and found wholeness and healing. So I have to give credit where credit's due for that. But that's really who I am comes back to that, that curious. I've always been curious, my friend. It's just, it's just who I am. And history makes me curious and culture makes me curious. Here is stories. I love stories. To me, we are a story culture and I love to hear people's stories. Absolutely.
0: Talk to me a little bit about role models, heroes, people that you look up to. Who have those been that have inspired you throughout your life? Wow, you
1: know, that's interesting because it depends on the discipline. When I think about speaking, I, I just talk about speaking and, and the whole idea of presenting information in a way that inspires and creates beauty and and inspires a story. You know, for me, that man was always Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs just had the ability to walk on stage and, you know, he could be talking about a piece of nothing, a piece of... You know, just a piece of plastic and metal and make it sound like it was, it was going to change the world. And, you know, it often did. You know, when I think about, uh, race relations today, uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. is a huge influence on my life. As I read what he wrote, you know, and I, 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 I get a sense of what he was dealing with back in the 1960s. When I was born in 1963. The very, Year. In fact, I was born just a few months before the Great March on Washington, where you know he gave that famous speech in '63 that really ignited the civil rights movement of the '60s. You know, and and I sense that. I I, I just I really appreciate that musically. I love guys like well Bono of U2. I just I love their just the spiritual ethic that they have. Uh, the uh, uh, the approach to life, the, the the thinking man that that Bono is of U2. Uh, so there, there are a number of influences out there, and I probably could think of several more if you, you know. I'm trying to think of one of living examples or recent examples.
0: Well, those are, those are wonderful, and I'm going to take that baton a little further and ask you this. If you could meet one person alive on the planet right now, who would it be? Who would you love to talk to? Is this, is this person already alive right now, so it's not somebody's past? You know, you could do somebody that's, that's gone, just anybody that you really would have loved to have talked to
1: i think for me i would have liked to have sat down with ronald reagan uh you know he was he was the first president of of my lifetime that you know really had a significant impact on my life you know i grew up again as a child of the 60s and 70s and i remember the carter administration but i graduated in 1981 and so I i was I, I couldn't vote for a president in 1980 i was still a little bit too young for that but it was that uh ronald reagan uh his you know he had a lot of critics too politically he had critics but i re- always loved how he handled the criticism but more than anything i i just really liked the way he handled life There was a smile that he had he had a he had a joy to life and he seemed to to have an approach uh, just that that I find find attractive. And I think a lot of people find it attractive. That's why he's one of these, uh, probably one of the more uh, famous, if not uh, popular presidents of the 20th century.
0: So if you have a dream tonight and you run into your younger version, say in your 20s, and you could give that version a piece of advice based on what you've learned, the wisdom that you've accumulated over the years, what would you tell your young version?
1: Don't be so serious. You don't have to die on every hill, you know. We we have a lot of hills in life that we we like to die on, especially when we're young. And I think the reason for that is because we don't have a lot at stake. Uh, you know, you can you can uproot your family, you can uh, you can change your career, you can do a lot of things like that when you're young and, and take risks because there's not a lot of capital yet. There's not a lot of of, of rooting yet to your life. But the older you get, you start to realize, hey, you know, why did I fight that battle? Why was that particular issue so important to me? You know, because today I find that there's a lot less that that rattles me. And I find a settling in my life that is uh, something that I, I, I find appealing. I'm not sure that even if I told my younger me what I just told you, I don't think he would have listened because he was pretty arrogant. Uh, he was pretty uh, in, um, insecure uh, in his in his life, and, uh, you know, I've, I've just learned in the last 10 years how to settle my soul a little
0: bit more. So, you know, the one thing that's very key about humans is that, you know, art's been huge, especially during this pandemic. So I'm curious, what book or album or art has been something you've come back to or been a huge influence on your life? uh
1: definitely music has been my uh my go-to it's been my my therapy dog it's been my comfort food you know and i'm an old classic rock and roller i grew up uh, in fact my earliest band was kiss believe it or not i um uh, i i still enjoy their their music you know, from time to time but uh i was a classic rock and roller you know all the all the oldies but goodies you know everything from boston to Aerosmith to ZZ Top and you know, all those as well. I never got into disco, thank God. You know, that was, you know, I, I have an appreciation for disco now uh, only as a musical art form. But back then, you know, you couldn't get me anywhere near a disco song. <laughs> but, uh yeah, music. And, uh, you know, I, I like country music a lot more. I mean, I got into country music in the 90s, and I found that to be um uh, to to kind of fill that hole i mean because country music was changing at that point garth brooks was huge uh i gotta tell you my sister introduced me to garth brooks because she's a huge garth brooks fan and i thought garth brooks had nailed it he, he finally figured out a bridge to bring in us old classic rock and rollers and that's when 90s country music started to get more uh uh it, it kind of found some of those those older roots, those southern rock roots that you know, I'm an Almond Brothers guy. I, I love uh you know everything from uh Molly Hatchet to you know, I mean V Z Top to you know, Leonard Skinner, those are all big influences. I was a huge Southern rock guy. Uh, right on. So
0: everyone has a what's that?
1: No, nah, I was gonna say that's 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 just my go to. Those are my comfort
0: goods, yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, I, I was gonna. My 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 final question to you is this: Everyone has a perception or an idea of you, your family, your friends, your fans. But ultimately, you live your life. You have a perception of you. Who do you think you are?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question, and it's one that I think uh, as my life has unfolded, you know, I've had to come to grips with. I was addicted to, uh, uh, to, a, to a, a substance here a few years ago, and. I had to do recovery work and did a lot of soul searching in my life and uh really getting back to the basics of who I am and uh you know I I like to say now that I'm I'm a I'm a father, I'm a friend, um I'm just a I'm a man uh who who loves people, loves life, loves God and you know that that's the essence of who I am. I I've learned to hopefully it comes across as as an authenticity uh to how i approach life Uh, i think that's probably the greatest compliment you can get is for someone to say you're real you're just the real deal and i've heard that from time to time and to me that's the greatest compliment a human being can get is that when someone else sees you as being real because again there's so many fake things that we put on and so many masks that we wear we it's halloween every day of the week when it comes to humanity today you know we try especially social media we try to be what we're not and we become disturbed by what we're not and you know, if we don't have the likes and shares and the followers and such it can depress us and you know, I run a very low rent, low budget, one man show, non profit work. Uh I'm a you know, I, I I'm not greatly famous but uh I have uh I have about eight hundred people on my daily email address uh or email uh uh, work and um, they have inspirational email they send out and um, and it, it has one of the highest open rates of the business you know so I, I, I have to think that I'm doing something and in the end you know it's all about putting a dent in the world you know that's what Steve Jobs talked about you know just
0: just putting a dent in the world
1: and that's who I absolutely. am I just want to leave with a dent
0: <laughs> absolutely so if anyone wants to learn more about you what you do anything related to your world where's the best place for them to go
1: i uh, start with RickCromey.com. RickCromey.com. That's the best place for me.
0: Beautiful. Rick, thank you for opening up, man. Good luck with everything. I appreciate it. Hey, it's been fun. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, and music around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.